I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for just a hearts to understand and see and pray, Lord, for some of us today that may not be in this place and find it hard to get there, that you would etch this in our minds so that we can go back and in our days of distress we might return to this psalm and understand and grasp the magnitude of your work in this world and trust that you are watching over us when we can't always see what you're doing. We pray for strength to, to focus this morning on these things. In Christ's name, amen. You know, sometimes in, there's some people that are, are bigger at this than you know, or, or would say this to you more often, they might say something like, you don't understand. You know, maybe to me or maybe to you. Maybe when you're younger, you might say, if you're wise to some extent, you say, you know, I don't really, I, I, I don't understand, you know. Uh, sometimes you get in that mode, though, where it's like um, none of us will experience all the things, you know, in life that might come. I mean, that's just reality. 
we're not going to experience every single thing. One of the wonderful things about reading, just think about this for a moment. If you say, I'm not a reader. One of the wonderful things about reading is you get to experience what the author has experienced. So if an author spent 10,000 hours studying a subject, you have one hour or one, what, five minutes watching a YouTube video, let's say, you become immediately an expert. If you will go and read maybe something that someone has really studied, you can learn from them and gain wisdom without having to experience it, let's say, the hard knocks yourself. So there's value in that. Psalm 77 is one of those things where you say, this guy has experienced difficulty, as we see in many of the Psalms. And so what you want to say is, can I take myself, can I, can I go there with him today that I might learn and grow uh, in my knowledge? And so I just encourage you in that regard to, to come take the journey with the psalmist so that when you face that or someone around you is facing that, you know, you can come alongside them and help them and just encourage them in the truths of God. These were songs to be sung within the congregation, not because everybody had experienced it, but so that everyone could at some level experience it and be prepared to walk in wisdom. So I just encourage you, the Psalms bless us in that way. So this author felt pain and he's honest with the Lord. That's one of the things you could just say, he is honest. And that, that's always helpful to know. He, he's not uh, someone that says, well, and, and you'll, you see this sometimes, like if you're meeting with a group of people, Especially like I've, I've met or visited with a lot of people in like corporate America. And what you do in corporate America is you sit in these meetings and everybody's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And nobody really is saying what they're thinking, you know, because everybody's nervous about what the other person uh, is thinking. So you don't really get like honest answers, you know. And then you may have worked with somebody or been in a family where, uh, if you speak anything different than like what this robotic family thinks about the world, then you're like the outcast, and so you just walk around kind of silently tiptoeing around the explosive people, right? And so I think it's important, though, in this case, when you're looking at this, is uh, this guy does not tiptoe around God. Like, that's the thing. He, he's not dishonest. He's not like playing with God. He's not trying to beef up God and act like he's not struggling with some things with God. I mean, and that's like, again, some of you grew up, you were trained this way, you work in an environment this way, you're, you lend your life that way, you're just always trying to kind of uh, inflate someone's ego or like make sure nobody's frustrated in the room or whatever it might be. And the reality is, is who really, really matters is not somebody you're trying to impress. Who really matters is the Almighty God who sits on His throne. And if you're acting in the way that you maybe act in this present world, if you're acting that way with Him, you're not acting like this psalmist. Because God doesn't want you to come in and fake it. 
And God doesn't want you to speak of him like he is not or that there's not a struggle. God, here's the thing. You know what's neat about God? He knows already. Is that cool? God already knows what's going on in your heart. And messing with you is not something where he's like, well, I didn't know he was such a bad choice. I should have never hired him. I should have never brought him into my family. You know, like it's not it's not like that. Because guess what? He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. So for Asaph to speak, it is important to note that he is pouring out things to God that he's dealing with, but for him to speak is not like new information for God. So that is a wonderful thing in your prayer life. You are not coming to God with something that he does not already know. And he is able to interpret. You know how you think, I don't know if y'all have done these, where you like might do a call with somebody, and there might be, well, you kind of have this text format, so you don't really know how people are, what they're thinking. And then maybe you do a conference call, and you still really just, just kind of want them in the room, let's say, so you can read their behavior. And then you might even do some kind of video thing. And, and each one of those are... You don't know for sure sometimes. But if you get like face-to-face across the table, that's just a lot nicer place to be, right? God doesn't need that. That's awesome. Okay, so I just say that to say with you to you this morning, God is okay with you going to him with uncomfortable conversations. He can handle it. He can handle it. He's not blowing up. He's not scared. He's not trying to tiptoe around you. He knows you better than you know him or than you know yourself. So he is, that does not mean that you are coming into the presence of God and you think, I'm going to go in there just however I want to. You know, there's some people that say, I always say what's on my mind, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you're like, okay, that was, that's really wise. You can't tame your tongue. That's great. We love your untamed tongue. Everybody around us, you know. Not, no, it's not like that. God is, he is approachable. He is transcendent, meaning he's holy, and he is imminent, meaning that he is personal. And you can come to him, and you can speak to him. You do it in a humble way, but you do it in an honest way because he cares for you. So that's where this guy is. He is struggling. It is a difficult struggle. It's a difficult struggle for you. Life is going to be that way. You are going to have those times. Tough questions are going to come to you uh, in in your mind and in your heart. Sometimes you're going to have a memory of past graces from God, and you look at the present and you say, did he forget me? You're just going to do that. You're going to do that. And so it's okay to kind of address that. And it can become very depressing and you have to kind of keep moving forward. And we're going to talk about how you do that. So that's where we are. Now, you could break this psalm up, verses 1 through 9. 
you're an outliner person, I'm going to give you a couple ways to do that. Verse 1 to 9, uh, you could say, okay, this deals with this guy's depressing state. And you'll, you'll, I'm going to kind of note it, but I just want you to think about that. Verses 10 through 20, he's coming out of the well of depression. That, that's kind of uh, the way you might see it. And he begins to focus on God. It's almost like he's been down in the tunnel and he's taken you there. And all of a sudden he's looked up and he can see some light. And he begins to come out. Another way is by that term Selah. In, you see in verse 1 to 3, 4 to 9, 10 through 15, and 16 through 20. It divides up in those what we don't know exactly what it all is. But many people say like this pause. So that you can pause and consider. And that's a, a way to divide it. It's helpful. Another thing just to say is, and just think about this when you go back and read it uh, on your own, but if you uh, look at it, the first six verses, there's a lot of I, I, me. That's kind of what you see. And only six references to God. And then the last eight verses are going to have 21 mentions of God. So that's a change. It's a shift. You're looking at the text and you say, oh, there's a shift that's taking place. And then in between there, uh, you're, you're seeing kind of this, the poet's thought about himself and God kind of in the middle section. So uh, those are helpful ways to do that. We are going to break it up in a number. You know, we're going to have several things we're going to look at here. You just kind of follow along as we go. Uh, I believe one author noted this as just the psalm of remembering. Just that, that kind of like can't, comes to mind here. So let's look at the first two verses. This is his present kind of state or present distress. He says, I cried aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So he cries out to God here, uh, and, and he is filled with pain and sorrow. You notice here that like it's almost like this is the road. That's why sometimes I try to encourage y'all, and, and, and I want to encourage you even more, to say like the reason family worship is so important is you are creating a road, a habit. You're creating a habit for your family. You're creating a habit for your children. What's the habit? Read, pray, sing, read, pray, sing, read, pray, sing. When their life is filled with trouble, read, pray, sing. When they're very happy, read, pray, sing. We encourage you over and over and over, beat the road down so that there is a solid road that even if they kind of got away from it, that it won't be that hard to go back and find that old road that they had walked with you for years. And I see in this moment, he cries aloud to God. He goes to God. It is a natural thing for him to turn to God. And you're going to see that where he is praying to God, not only in the bad times, but that he knows years where he sang praises to God in the most glorious of times. So create that environment. And in his present distress, you see him turning to God. The Lord. He says, In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. The Lord, he knows, can hear him. He's not like sometimes you'll, uh, I've noticed with older men, I do not know about older women. 
but with older men, some maybe even in this church, their ears are not as good as they used to be. And you're like, good night. Do they hear anything that we're saying to them? I don't know whether they're like doing the selective hearing thing. It's like if you're going to, if you say something about them, they're like alive, you know, can hear every little thing. If not, you know, I don't know. But even after hearing aids, they act like they can't hear. God's not like that. And so you understand here is like he seeks the Lord. He knows the Lord can hear him. And he's going to the Lord in his day of trouble. And look what it says. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. What that means is, have you ever, I don't know, maybe played one of those games where hold this book out in front of you and let's see how much time like you can do that, hold it, you know. And you're like, you know, like 30 seconds in, you're about to fall over. Uh, not Ben House. He's really good. He can just lift books all day and hold them. But if that hasn't been a habit, you know, like holding that out. And so I think it's one of those things where you say, he's saying like, look, I did, I stretched out my arm to God and I will not stop. It's almost like uh, this is not a picture of someone who is spiritual lazy. This is not like the disciples who fell asleep when the Lord said, watch and pray. It's not any of that stuff. Uh, it, it is not somebody saying, well, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, so I fell asleep like five minutes into my prayer. Like, no, he's reaching out to the Lord. He reminds you of Jacob who wrestled with God all night. I will not let you go. So he's reaching out, stretched out his arms, and he, he will. Now, here's the other thing. Some people that are dealing with, and, and, and you may have all of us probably at some level have somewhere that you go for comfort. It may be, oh, I go to sleep, you know, which is not a bad thing to sleep, right? Some people might go to a bottle for comfort. It's like, oh, that will nurse me. Some might go to a certain friend. Some might go to the Internet to be nursed back to feeling comfortable or whatever or feeling comfort. There's a lot of places that, that we can go to for comfort. Here he says, I will not be comforted by any of that stuff. I will take only the Lord to comfort me because I know that's the only one who can. Okay, So that's where he's at. He's got this crushing distress, this present distress, and then you go kind of, this is, this is shocking. He has this haunting past, and I think that's a helpful thing to see. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the light. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So I think it's just important to say here is that like there's something about the memory of God that haunts him. Does that now that is not something you would normally say. You know, the memory of God it haunts me. There's a line at the very end of a river runs through it where uh, the he's the writer speaks of like the words coming up from the river and they, they haunt him. Because it's the memories of his past. It's their stories. They, they, they kind of, there's something about a great story in life with people that is, uh, there's so much joy in them that 
that they in a way could bring pain because you miss you miss those days. I think that's what he's doing with God. He is saying, I remember. But I remember, and it it just it drives me crazy. Because I remember God like the way it was to have a song in my heart in the night, I remember what it was like for such joy of learning and rejoicing in the greatness of you. I remember what it's like to to be so alive and so amazed at the glorious wonders of God that I could not sleep. And right now, it is so difficult for me that that memory haunts me. That, that's amazing to me. Because, again, that's not how we would generally think. So he's remembering, we th- see him in his present distress, this haunting past, and then, which lead to like difficult questions. I want you to look at them. You ready? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Wow. Think think about those for a minute. First one, will I be rejected forever? This is a hard question. What does it mean to be rejected? Will he turn away forever? Will the glorious countenance of God be gone forever? Will the clouds of a frowning providence, as some would say, be like this forever? Will God hide his face from me? Will I never see the sun of the glorious presence of God? He goes on, will he never again be favorable? What is it like to be in someone's favor? If someone like, if you know you're in their favor, there's something with the life of Joseph where it says, and the Lord gave him favor. And every time the Lord gave him favor with somebody, you know what happened? He began to climb up into a place. like it, 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 The favor of God ultimately ended in him being in a palace, from prison to palace. So that, that's, that's a powerful thing to see. But he's saying like, my memory of God is I know what his face is like when it's shining on me. My memory of God is I know the favor of God. I know that when I've, I was in the darkest moments, he, I've, I've been there where he's lifting me out, where I walk and every door opens. Been there. That memory's haunting him and causing him to question. I know what it's like to understand what it means when, the, when Aaron said, the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, lift up uh, his countenance upon you and give you peace. I know what that's like. That's what he's saying. And that memory's difficult for me. He goes on to ask a question. What about his steadfast love? You may have been in this world long enough to know the waywardness of man who vows to love and cherish, 
but forgets he ever made that commitment. We live in a world where steadfast love is not something that people hold with great value. Is God like man? That's his question. Does God love today and hate tomorrow? What about his promises? Have they come to an end? Was God holding his fingers like this when he made those promises? Because he knew that you couldn't see his hand? That this is where he is. Well, his promise to Abraham, this unilateral, meaning God made the promise. Will it last forever like he said? What about David? He made a promise of an everlasting house, a king that would stand forever. Is God like man who makes promises that you could take his promises on a covenant or on a um, some kind of thing where you're, you're where he says, "Oh, I'll do this and do that," and you could take it and pretty much shred it because it means nothing. Has God forgotten to be gracious? He knows from the garden on. This is a man that knows the Bible. From the initial sin in the garden on, grace is stamped across the story. From the initial, like walking in and speaking to Adam and Eve, right there, the first evangelistic message. Like, grace is written across it. Has, Has this ceased? Stop and consider, has the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God changed? That's what the psalmist is saying. The answer, of course, is clearly no. But he is working through these things because his his difficulty and pain is guiding him along. And he's having to deal with this stuff. So, He has his distress. He has his past, which lead to his questions. And then we get to verse 10. As I mentioned at the first, this is a way you could split the psalm because what happens? Everything starts to change. Light starts to fall on a dark situation. Then I said... I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. What does he do? I will consider the Most High, which is saying the Almighty God. I I will consider him. I will consider the years of of all of his works, I I will stop and think about it. And he's appealing to that. He's saying, I'm going to appeal to the years. It is like saying this. He has been talking, dealing with it, asking all these questions, and then he says, I'm about to go into the courtroom and make my appeal. 
This is not who he is. His promises do not cease. His love does not fail. Does that make sense? He's going back, and he's saying, even though that memory haunts me, I know the stories. I've experienced it. I've seen it in the life of the people of God. I will remember your wonders from of old and not let them haunt me, but invigorate me to move forward in faith. What God has done in the past will help him answer the questions of the present. What things does he see? This is insanely wonderful. You ready? He is going to reflect on what I would consider like the calming attributes of God. From chaos, like going on all around him, and then he comes in with these attributes and says like, let me think for a moment. Remember all my questions? Let me stop and consider for a moment his history. Let, let me look at God's history. How's he, what has he done in this past? And so what do I come away with like from them? What kind of characteristics? One, God is holy. In verse 13 through 15, God is holy. Now, holy can mean a couple of things in the Bible, probably prominently. But here, I think he's saying like God is just in all of his actions. God is just in his actions. He is not going to stop trusting in the fact that God is right in all his dealings and he will not cease to be holy. That, that's, that's what he is. He is doing what is right. He does not cease. Second thing, which is really important. Not only is God going to make the right uh, actions, he's going to do the right things, say the right things, accomplish the right things. He is great. So it's not like he can look at situations and say, God's strength has diminished. I watch older guys all the time. Uh, they'll talk to me about how, well, I wasn't, I'm not as strong as I used to be and all this kind of stuff. And uh, that is just clear. I feel that, you know. We were cutting wood yesterday, and, you know, there's a part of it. It's like grabbing a log like, you know, like used to. I might have just picked it up and, you know, take off. I'm thinking like, you know, the 10th one, I'm going like, whew, this is for a young man. You know, it's a young man's game. No, but it, it is funny because God's strength doesn't diminish. He's not losing that ability to do. His power to act is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Third attribute, he is caring. And you see this in the psalm. He speaks of, and you'll just, just note that, the children of Jacob and Joseph, what he's saying, he's redeemed the children of Jacob and Joseph. The idea is here, he is their father. He is their father. And the psalmist says, whoa, hold on just a second. I know he's holy. I know that he is strong. And I also know he shepherds his kids like a father. I, I just know that. So, he has this present distress. At first, the past haunts him. It leads to a series of questions that really are frightening questions to ask about God. It, it, it moves him forward to say, hold on just a second, think about God's record. And then, 
he comes away with like what attributes are on display about God. I can trust him. Now, the last thing we're going to see is verse 16 through 20. And I'm going to read those to you, and, and I just want you to think about this. It's like a moving narrative, not like that it's moving around, but it's, it's, it's something to inspire. He is going to think about one of the great stories in the Old Testament of God's deliverance. So he's kind of went from the bullet point, right, truth, to now the narrative that sticks in his head. And I would say, just as a side note, when I share the gospel with people, sometimes bullet points, boom, boom, boom. Sometimes a narrative, right? Sometimes both. And they're tapping out like, okay, I got it, I got it. You know. but, but both of those things inspire you, right? The great stories of God and the great truths that comes from, from those stories. So, verse uh, 16 through 20. He says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gathered forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters yet your footprint, footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Think this is pointing to the Red Sea experience. And he's saying, I got this story, this story from of old, this story that's been passed down, this story that we remind each other of every year, this story that God keeps saying, you keep it as a perpetual thing in your life. Keep telling each other the stories. Because those stories from of old become like the reason it's in your calendar every year, Israel, is because you need to remember his great deliverances. You got to tell the story. You keep telling the story and encouraging the story, helping them see the story. This moving narrative is about little scared sheep that the great shepherd took through the valley of the shadow of death and they came out on the other side. That's the story. And you can look at it, Exodus uh, chapter 14, and remind yourself of those truths. Thus says the Lord, verse 30 and 31 of Exodus 14 says, Thus says the Lord, He saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses. It is a moving narrative that he is going back to and remembering by way of like helping him trust God. So, I, this psalm for me is saying, I do not know what may come in the present. I may have days where the stuff is so troublesome that I'm haunted by the joys of knowing God. Because I know what He's like, but I don't feel it in the present. I may even have days that I'm asking questions about whether or not who He has been in the past, that it, whether He still is that God. And yet, 
I hope this psalm will lead me through to see his calming attributes in the powerful narrative that's on display. Now, as we get done today, I wanted you to think about Jesus just for a minute. Jesus knew the distress that Asaph had. He experienced such distress in the dark night in the garden that he sweated drops of blood. He knew an intimacy that is beyond compare in the perfect relationship of the Trinity that was throughout all eternity past. He knew an intimate union that haunted his memory on Mount Calvary when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knew the other side. He knew that he would be vindicated and seated at the right hand of his holy, great, and caring Father. He knew the story because it was his story written long ago in the decrees of God. He would be the great shepherd of the souls of all who would believe. He endured this psalm so that although you might experience this as a light and momentary affliction, you can look forward to the joy yet to come. So if you are here today, and you may look at this psalm and say, well, I don't know anything about this, never quite experienced it. You may never experience it at the, at the fullest weight that it almost feels like here. But Jesus did. And he did so that you and I could be hope, filled with hope and filled with total and complete confidence that God is faithful. What he did in the Exodus... He did in the second exodus of his son. And it is far greater. And we get to experience it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom that we might see and we might rejoice and that we might live in wonder and awe. We thank you that we can come to you bearing our sorrows. We thank you for the promises that you etch in the heart of your people. May we always be a church that lifts you up so that in the darkest of nights, people might understand, our people that are here might understand and believe and trust that you are faithful and that your story continues and that all who put their trust in Christ, their story will too. It's in his name we pray. Amen.